0: Amen. You may be seated. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? Man, thank you worship team for taking us there this morning. You know, I love that last song that we sang. We're in the middle of a series about being generous. And that last song really reiterates the the first point of the whole series, which was really this. That the starting place of generosity is the recognition that we are in fact rich. We're rich materially, sure, but man, spiritually, wow. Right? I mean, we are rich that God has lavished his love on us. And that, that whole that whole thing that Wes was just singing about, it was just incredible. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that passage or that, that that verse because that's really what it's all about right that when we are fixated on Christ we are recognizing how rich we are and man all the things of this world our status our money our wealth all our career all that stuff grows strangely dim in the light of being focused in on him and this is our our starting point for generosity That generosity, a life marked by generosity, is not just for them. It's not for those undefined people that we think have the disposable income and all of those extra time on their hand and all of that stuff. No, it's not just for them. That a life marked by generosity is for us, that we have a part to play in being generous because of all that God has given us, both materially and spiritually speaking. And last week, man, Gary did an incredible job talking about personal generosity, what it means for you and your family to engage in being a generous person. And so this morning, we want to step to the next spot on that, on that line of generosity and say, all right, what, what happens, and this is in your introduction, what happens when generosity moves from personal to plural? What happens when generosity, me and my family and us being generous, what happens when we move from this spot to this place over here called us, from me to us, from personal to plural? And I believe that we the church, we the church, we are the us in generous, that you can't spell generous without the word us, and that God has set up the church as the primary corporate force of generosity to the world. And so this morning we're moving from personal generosity to corporate generosity, and you have an outline there, and I know it looks a little different. You've got just lines there, and the, the reason for the majority of that is I really just want to focus in on a few points this morning, and whatever the Lord leads you to write down or not write down, if you just want to listen, that's great too, but whatever the Lord leads, I just want you to have ability to write. So we're not going to fill in those lines necessarily, but that's, that's for you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start there this morning. Paul's writing a letter to the church there in Corinth. And it's his his second letter that he's writing. Actually, there's probably some other letters that that were not found in between this. But the first letter to the Corinthian church was kind of a rough deal. Like, if you go and read that letter, you realize really quick that that church, when it first got started, man, they were into some crazy stuff, all right? They were marrying, or like, just... Weird stuff. I don't even want to talk about it here. It's that that weird. Um, Go read it for yourself. But, man, they were into all kinds of weird debauchery, weird things as a church. And now Paul is writing this second letter to them. And, man, things have done really great. Like, they are in a different place. They went from a church filled with debauchery and filled with, with immorality. And they are moving on this path of growing. They are a growing church. And so this second letter is kind of a really good thing. Like, it's upbeat. And uh, Paul's really glad where they're at. They've been a, a work in progress. In fact, every church, every local church is a work in progress. That there are, get this, you won't believe this, there are no perfect people in church that, guess what? You are flawed, and I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. Your leadership is flawed. Man, we are all flawed, and that's kind of the beauty of church. That it is by God's grace that we grow. It's not because of men that we grow. We grow because of God's grace. And I'm going to tell you guys, man, it is a rare thing to be a part of this church. It's a rare thing. That since its inception, since its beginning in 1949, we have not had a single church split. Man, that's amazing. Like, I sit in meetings with our deacons, our lay leaders. I sit in meetings with our staff. And, man, there is such unity there. And I, I look at this and think, man, this is like the biggest privilege to be a part of a church that is, that is like this. This Corinthian church was the same way. They were a growing church just like us. And so Paul writes this letter to them. And right in the middle of his letter, he addresses this growing church. Just like us. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, I want to tell you about something that God is doing in these churches over here in Macedonia. And then he tells us what it is in verse 2. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty... Out of all these things, these things going on in their life, severe trials, overwhelming joy, and extreme poverty, out of this wells up rich generosity. Rich generosity I love that term welled up I remember a few years ago um, I was on a plane and uh, I was on the plane and I was by myself which is kind of rare to be honest usually if I'm on a plane I'm usually with my four children and and my wife or I'm with a team going somewhere on a mission and usually I'll just tell you we're not very uh, inconspicuous to say the least like we're always we're the loudest people, whether I'm with a team or whether I'm with my family, we're usually the loudest people on the airplane. Um, we're those people that clap as the plane lands, you know, and everybody rolls their eyes. Um So, but here's the deal. I'm on the plane by myself, so I'm thinking, this is going to be great. No one's really going to pay attention to me. It's awesome, okay? So, I have this little hydro flask. You might know what a hydro flask is. It's like a metal uh, Nalgene bottle or a metal bottle, and it has that little straw thing on it, you know? So, it's bent down, and and it's sitting underneath my seat, and we're up in the air, and I'd filled it up there at the airport before we took off, and And uh, and this has happened to a few people since then. But I'm sitting on the plane being real inconspicuous, and we're up at, you know, 30,000 feet. And so I decide to open this thing up, right? So I I pull that straw open, and literally, I'm not drinking water. I'm drinking tea because who drinks water? But literally, tea just spews out of this thing like a geyser, all (laughs) right? And it's like, it's, it's, it went up about as tall as me, like, don't ever do this on a plane. And literally, it comes down right in my lap, and it splatters the guy beside me, and, and I'm just mortified, you know, that I'm wet, but I'm also splattering other people with my, my tea and my hydro flask. But it's kind of a weird thing, right? What happened there is something pressurized in that container, something pressurized, and welled up tea, all right? This is the kind of thing that you have here in this passage, and I love this, this this idea. Look at this crazy formula for generosity. It's right here. Get this, serious trials, severe trials. What's the trials that the Macedonian churches are facing? They're facing severe persecution. Like, we're not talking like getting picked on at school or losing out on jobs. We're talking about men, women, and children dying every day because of what they believe. This would be equivalent to like Germany in the 1940s if you were a Jew, all right? That's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with severe persecution. They're dealing with extreme poverty that during this time in in all of the area, but in Macedonia especially, the Roman occupation was going on. The Romans were in charge, and they had set up tax collectors there in the first century. In fact, if you go and you look at the Bible, they talk a lot about tax collectors. The reason they're hated so bad is not because they're taking honest wages. It's because they set up with these tax collectors to take whatever they wanted and they could just rob people of all their material all their materials all their resources and these people are left with nothing and Macedonia was one of the worst places that this was happening all right so you have extreme poverty and severe persecution all right and right here in the middle in fact this is so weird i didn't even see this till last night when i was reading over this verse but listen to how he lists these things he says in the midst of Severe persecution, severe trial, their overflowing joy in the middle, and their extreme poverty over here. Why is it that Paul lists overflowing joy right in the middle? It seems better that that would come at the end. I don't know if this is true or not, but I believe the reason he puts it there is it's the perfect spot. That they are literally surrounded with all of these circumstances around them that are terrible. Extreme poverty, severe persecution is closing in on them. It is building up pressure. But because of what's in the middle, that's what changes everything. They don't control the circumstances. They don't control their poverty. They don't control the persecution that's coming to them. But they control this. They control what's in the middle, this this joy, this overflowing joy that when that stuff starts to pressurize, man, rich generosity just wells out. It just pops out. And this is what you see here in this passage, that generosity is motivated, primarily it's motivated by joy. That's what you see in this passage. Generosity is motivated by joy. This isn't happiness. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is based on happenings, right? They're based on circumstances. It's not happiness. I mean, look at their look at their circumstances. It's joy. It's lasting joy in the God of their salvation. Matthew 10, verse 7 through 8, Jesus kind of reiterates this point. He's sending out the disciples, and he says here, it's on the screen, Matthew 10. He's sending out the disciples, and he says, As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then he says the phrase that you've probably heard growing up at some point. Whether you're in church or out of church, you've probably heard this. This is where it comes from. Freely you have received... Now freely give. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, I have given you all kinds of things. I have given you me. I've given you a relationship with me. I've given you kingdom authority to do things that would change the world, that would build the kingdom. I've given you these things now because you have them, now you freely give them. That the blessings of God do not terminate on us, but we receive that And then we freely give those things. Joy in what Christ has done for us drives that same generosity to others. I remember being in Nepal several years ago, and we've been to different places in Nepal. And one of the places we've been is West Nepal, and it's right on the India border. And it's a very remote place. It took, it took a plane ride, an extra plane ride once we got to the capital to get there. It took several hours in this land cruiser. And then we get to this little village that we're going to. And before we get there, we have to get on a boat and ride the boat over to this little island. And then once we get on the island, we have to take a tractor and motorbikes. We didn't drive them, thank the Lord. But we got on the back of these motorbikes and drove to this village. And that was another... 45 minutes. So we're doing all of this and we finally arrive in this absolute remote village where there are there there's complete poverty there's severe persecution there it's illegal to convert to Christianity now it's officially illegal in in Nepal and we're going into this village where literally it's called a fisherman village and they're 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 literally fishing for little little minnows in the canals that are there. And so we're going into this village to to, to, to talk to these people, to give them something, right? Give them the word of God, you know? And man, we walk into this village and I've never experienced anything like this. You can see a picture of it here. We walk into this village and hundreds upon hundreds of people, women, children, men, all these people are there to hear the word of God. And not only are they there to hear the word of God, man, as we walked, they had, line, they had lined the, the streets of the village. And as we're walking into this village, off of the motorbike, walking into this village, they are putting all these things around our necks, like these flowers around our necks. They're giving us bouquets and, and things to carry. And I thought about that. I thought, if the president of Nepal had come to their village that day, they would have done just as much for him. They did so much for us. I've never been so honored in my entire life. Life. They're, they're in severe persecution. They're in severe extreme poverty. And they are just welling out this rich generosity that's motivated by joy. And I think about that. I think, man, we went into that village to tell them something that day. But, man, they said something to us that was far greater than I think anything we could have said to them. And it's this, that generosity is not motivated by wealth. It's not motivated by status or circumstances. It's motivated by joy in Christ. And I want us to think about that here in this context. We're not in West Nepal. We're not under severe persecution. And we're not in extreme poverty. But man, this is the place where we gather every Sunday morning. This should be one of the most exciting times of our week. A time where we get to come together and sing, worthy is the name of Jesus. We were just singing that. We get a time to come together and hear the message. Not really a messenger, but the message of God. We get to hear it. We get to hear it out of a book that people have sacrificed their lives to give us this, and we get to apply that. And then somewhere in our gathering, we have this amazing moment Where this goes out, this plate comes out, and we have the opportunity to do something here. Something that's motivated by joy. You know, for some of you in this moment, the minute I picked this up, you felt a little twinge. Like, oof. Guys, this is not a threat. This is the means by which God wants to do great things. Generosity is motivated by joy and that, that moment where we have an opportunity to put resources into a plate or online giving, that moment should be a joyous occasion. A moment of generosity. So generosity first, it's motivated by joy. Next, generosity is measured in the above and the beyond. Look at verse 3. For I testify, I, Paul, testified that they, the people in these Macedonian churches, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. This is the thing about giving and generosity. It never makes sense to the world. Because everything in the world tells us that we need to hold on to what what we have. We need to create security. We need to create all this. Generosity is not really something that our world is really about. Maybe token generosity, but nothing outrageous, right? But giving, generosity is an act of faith. Giving to the local church is an act of faith. It's not naive. It's not to say, hey, I'm just going to give my money and there's no accountability. No, there's value in accountability. That's one thing I love about our church, that, man, there are so many people that are looking through our budget. Each month, we have meetings about this and our staff meet about this and our lay leaders, our deacons meet about this to make sure that there's accountability in the way we spend the money that God has given us for his kingdom and his purposes but it's more than just trusting leadership. It's more than just having faith in that. It's also this faith that we exhibit when money leaves our own personal finances, when we are saying to God, Lord, I'm going to give this, and I'm praying you will provide. I heard a a story this week. We're right in the middle of this series, so someone called me this week, and uh, they go to our nine thirty gathering usually, and she's a lady that's been in our church for a long time, and And uh, she told me a story about 35 years ago, she was a single mom here in our church. And she was over in the other building that used to be the worship center there. And our pastor at the time, Pastor Larry, uh, 35 years ago, so this would be like 1984, um, had basically charged their church and said, hey, I want to give put something before you. They were running out of seats to seat people in. And, And we're kind of getting into that same boat now. But they were in a place where they needed more space and more seats. So he, he kind of put out there to the church, hey, let's give. Let's just pray that God would put on your heart what he wants you to give and, and just give as you see fit, as the Holy Spirit sees fit. And she said that, that the Lord was just really just, just talking to her about this and saying, you know, I, I want you to give this certain amount. And so she felt that the Lord had told her she needed to give $25 extra a week. Okay? Okay. Now, this is, again, this is 1984. This is a single mom. That's that's hard for a lot of people. I mean, $25 a week would take a hit for us. But this lady is sitting there, and she's saying, I need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in this moment. So she gave that. She decided that Sunday to start giving that every week. And, And then as she's telling me this story, she said, you won't believe what happened, Jonathan. She said, that very week, my boss calls me into his office, and he says, we want to give you a raise. Guess how much? $25 a week. And what she said at the end of that, I remember she's talked a little bit more about that story. And at the very end, I'll never forget what she said. She says, Jonathan, you can't ever outgive God. You can't outgive God that her generosity was measured in the above and beyond. It was measured in a place that doesn't always make sense, but that we step out in faith in generosity. Next, generosity is marked as a privilege, it's not an obligation. The second part of verse 3 says this entirely on their own, these churches, they urgently pleaded with us. They were basically begging Paul here. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, this is an interesting verse because it almost implies that Paul was trying to stop them. You're like, hey, you don't need to do that. Y'all were poor enough, basically. But I'm sure he said it in a nice way. But literally, like, he's, he's almost implying that. And they're saying, no, we want to do this. This is like something we desperately want to do. Why? Because they saw generosity as a privilege, not an obligation. There there are really two kinds of givers in this world. There are givers that give out of obligation, and there are givers that give out of privilege. They see giving as a unique privilege. And there's just a few differences here that I can point out, and these aren't always, this is just generalities here, but obligated givers typically give as a reaction. They are reacting to something. There, it's a reaction that's done a lot of times out of obligation. It's not to say that's always true. There are tons of people that see giving as a privilege and they'll see a need and they'll respond. But the obligated giver will always give out of reaction. The privileged giver, man, they give as a plan. They plan out. They think about this more than just that moment when a need arises. They think about it during the week how they can give and be faithful to God's money. Uh, I, I, there's a guy in our church, and he's, he's very wealthy. I know everybody's wealthy according to our standards, but this guy might have a little more. Um, and I eat lunch with him every once in a while, and I was talking to him one day about finances and his business and, and all of this stuff, and he said, Jonathan, he said, you know what really keeps me up at night? And I was waiting for him to say, yeah, your business probably, or, or just all the money that you're managing probably keeps you up. And he said, you know what really keeps me up at night? He says, What keeps me up is asking the question and praying to God, am I being faithful in giving away what you've called me to give away? This is someone who sees giving as a privilege. They are thinking, they're constantly thinking, how can I impact the kingdom of God? They're not just reacting, they're planning. Secondly, obligated givers, their decision is always based on emotion. It's always based on emotion. Privileged givers are always based on the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not to say that emotion doesn't follow our giving. We just said, right? We just said, hey, generosity brings about joy. We said that. But here's the thing most obligated givers give out of a very specific emotion. You know what the emotion is? Guilt. Obligated givers, a lot of times, they give out of guilt. They see something, and it's not this, oh, I, I, it's this. it's this thing of I probably should do something about that here, you know. privilege givers, man, they give. They, their decisions are made based on what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in and through them. And, and the ultimate thing to really say is obligated givers give because they ought to. And privileged givers give because they, you know, want to, Right? This is the difference. that We have to look at our money. We have to look at the ability to give, not as an obligation, but as a privilege. Next, generosity is multiplied when one joins many. Generosity is multiplied when one joins many. And I'm going to tell you, this is kind of a weird, like an obscure phrase, but this is literally the theme, point, and passage of the whole morning right here. And look at here in verse verse 3, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. There's two words here that kind of imply this idea of plurality, this idea of us giving. And it's the word they, obviously. And it's the word sharing, that there is something going on here where they are pulling resources together to make a kingdom impact. God designed this church, not just this church in Corinth and not just those church in Macedonia. God designed this church to bring generosity together to accomplish great things for his kingdom. We are sharing in this opportunity. Think for just a minute this. All that has happened here at this church because of people's generosity I want you to just think with me and kind of go on this little journey with me about what God has placed in our hands as a church that we have been able to be faithful in. That right now, currently, every Sunday morning, we have two gatherings every Sunday morning that reach about 500 people every Sunday morning right here in this room. And that in the midst of that, we have 44 that are on our worship leadership team. They don't just get on this stage, they're back there right now and we have 44 of them that are that are committed to this with us. We have 60 people that are in some form of greeter ministry that are coming in every morning and they are serving every Sunday morning our local church. But it's not just the gatherings. We have 23 weekly active connect groups that meet on and off campus with 425 people involved. That's crazy. 425 people, and these aren't just classes, man, these are connect groups, these are people that are doing life together. I talked to a connect leader yesterday, and I said, hey, man, what have you been up to today? He said, well, we just had a big campfire breakfast with our connect group. I'm like, man, I need to get in that connect group, that sounds amazing, but they got around a campfire, they had breakfast together. They had it on a day that wasn't the day they normally meet either, which I thought was pretty cool. But these are all these groups. I'm going to be going to a group tonight where I'm going to be fed and I'm going to be going to be hearing about how I can work on my marriage with my spouse. And it's not just going to be pointing and directing to me, man. We're going to be talking together. But that we have 23 of these things going on right now on a weekly basis with 425 people involved. That's pretty amazing. We have over 100 senior adults active in our church. And when I say active, what that means is they're not just sitting around eating. They are actually building the kingdom of God. We we call that ministry seniors with a testimony, SWAT for short. I know that's kind of a weird name, but here's the truth. They really are like a SWAT team, man. They are an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. I heard a story a couple of weeks ago and this is incredible, that there was a young girl, a young girl, she was not a part of our church, but there was a young girl that was considering an abortion. She's unwed and and she wound up pregnant. And so she goes to the abortion clinic to have an abortion that day. And she gets there and the doctor that was gonna perform that was not there. So she decided she was gonna come back another day. Well, somewhere in the midst of that, she shows up at the Pregnancy Resource Center here in town, a ministry that talks and proponent of pro-life. And she gets in there and she gets to hear the baby's heartbeat, her and her mom. Not only that day does she decide to keep the child, they both get saved that day. The Lord works in their lives. They come to Christ and get saved that day. Is that not awesome? I mean, I want to tell you, we got to clap about that because that's amazing. Two days later, they bring the dad to come hear the heartbeat. He gets on the same page. He gets saved. Incredible, man. God is doing these things. So then SWAT finds out about this. They decide to have this massive, outrageous baby shower for this young mother. And they do it right here. And those two, that, that family, they wound up coming in two different cars. Those cars were packed to the gills of stuff that they can help this young family, this young mother and her mom and dad to raise this child. And that's what SWAT's about. That's our senior adult ministry. Our student ministry, man, we have 75 average over here on Sunday mornings during connect time, during our connect groups, 75. On Wednesday nights, me and Christian have been trying to figure out this number all week. Based on last Wednesday night, it's a lot higher than this number I'm about to give, but we have like 85 people, 85 students on a Wednesday night, attending Wednesday night for one of the largest midweek worship gatherings for middle and high school students in the county. That's pretty cool. We have 111 active students in that ministry right now with 43 leaders serving, 43 adult leaders. Children's ministry, clubhouse averages 125 kids a Sunday morning. Right now, over there, 125. That's kind of scary to think about. 45 on Wednesday night with 58 leaders involved. Mother's Morning Out. We've got Mother's Morning Out here Monday through Thursday. There's 90 kids involved with that with 20 teachers. My kids have either went through it or are still in it, all four of them. And, man, they're not just babysitting those kids over there. Man, they are hearing the Word of God. They are learning the Word of God at a young age. There is a mission behind that. There's outreach events. There's VBS coming out. We have 164 people, was the last I checked two days ago. 164 people already signed up for VBS, and we're not even close to being done with that registration. We've got student camp coming this year, Beach House. We've been doing that camp for 16 years, and every year we've seen that number grow. This is our biggest year yet, and we're trying Christians trying to figure out where we're going to put all these people. Man, that's a great problem to have. Man, we, are, we, we have outreach events into the community. We're about to be a part of the June Bug Jam as a church. Our, our, a lot of our people are going to come out. They're going to serve that community. Seventh-inning stretch, we're going to have a presence there this year. Man, God uses a lot of these ministries to do great things for his kingdom. 12.5% of our budget. 12.5% of everything we take in goes to missions. We have local mission like Child Evangelism Fellowship that has a backyard Bible club kind of thing. Own school property every Wednesday night. That's pretty cool. Pregnancy Resource Center, we just talked about what, what they do. That's pretty awesome. Gideon's International, people that are passionate about the Word of God being in all places. One Love Skate Ministry, a skate ministry that, that really reaches out to an often neglected group of people. And this ministry is international. They've had people in North Korea ministering there through that ministry. Rescue Mission, Christine's Home, Sandra's Home. These are all incredible local missions that we have had the privilege as a church to get behind. These are things we are currently doing. But it's not just local mission. It's global mission as well. Well, this morning, Pleasant City Church is in the village of Pueblo Modelo. And uh, this village is an amazing... Amazing place. This is the second day of the mission team that has been in Guatemala, and uh, we have just seen God do great things in this place. And that's what I love about our church, and something that we a lot of times forget is that when we send teams, the money to make that happen, a lot of times, much of that money comes from not just people giving to the team members. Uh, our project money comes through our tithes and offerings it comes through the budget the opportunity that every church member has that when they give money to pleasant city church they're able to impact the kingdom in a great way and you see this you see this right now through what we're showing you um, in this video you see how god is using these team members these students and these adults and this is every mission trip we go on you see how god is using these people to impact the kingdom of God, using people from Pleasant City Church. And not just that, we have partners right here, Callie and Estuardo Lopez. If you go to Nepal, it's, it's Abraham and Kamala. If it's, the, if it's in the community, it's the Pregnancy Resource Center. That all of these funds that we, that we as a church bring together, the storehouse tithe, that we have an opportunity through that to distribute that out into all these various ministries. And then God uses that, that every time we bring a team into Guatemala or into Nepal or into Jamaica coming up this summer, that God uses that. And he doesn't just change the people in the villages that we go to. It changes us. It changes our team, that that, that we actually have team members that now have chosen their career path because of a week in Guatemala or a week in Africa or a week in Nepal, we see God doing great things through that. And, and this is something we want to talk about when we're talking about generosity. That generosity, uh, it's, it's more than just personal generosity, that God has given us the local church to be a sending agent, a sending agent of generosity, a generosity to the lost, generosity to the found, to those that are believers, to encourage them and disciple them. And we have the opportunity to do that every Sunday morning that that plate passes. Or every week we have the opportunity to go online and give to our church as a whole and watch them as their budget sends people out for the glory of God. We have the opportunity to do that right here in this place. We have two missionaries right here from our church. Both of these young ladies have been a part of our church for a few years now, or several years you, since you were born, and you for several years now. And uh, we have the opportunity to send them out, commission them out this morning. This is Annie Luckadoo, and this is Tessa Walsh. And both of them are going two different directions for the glory of God. Annie Luckadoo is going to be spending her summer working with the International Mission Board, Samaritan's Purse. She's going to be in Colombia, not South Carolina, but Colombia, South America, and she's going to be right there on the Venezuelan border. Most of you probably know the situation going on in Venezuela is very bad, very, very bad. There have been three million people that have left their country, their home country, to find food, shelter, water, just a place of support for their families. And, and, and Annie is going to be stationed right on the highway to meet these people, not to just meet their physical needs, but to meet the ultimate spiritual need that they have to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to these refugees exiting Venezuela. That's an amazing thing that's about to happen with Annie. She'll be there for three months. And then we have Tessa over here. Tessa is leaving uh, this week as well. She's going to be headed to Sweden in Europe. And she's working with uh, Crew, which is formerly Campus Crusade uh, for Christ. And she's going to be working with the European culture uh, and the spiritual culture there. I'm just going to tell you, it's lost. It's post-Christian. Most of them are atheists or agnostics. But she's going to be there. She's primarily working with Islamic refugees from Syria and Iraq, people that are entering into Sweden, trying to just make a life for themselves with everything that's happened in their old country. And she's going to be there partnered with local churches to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people. And she's going to be there for two years. And here's the thing, guys, this is this is real life. Like, this is what's really going on in our church, that this week, both of these girls, both of these ladies, are leaving out this week to go and make an impact for the kingdom of God. And we want to, as a church, get behind them and pray for them this morning, right here and right now. And so I'm going to ask each of them, Tessa, I know that there's lots of things that we can pray for you about and pray for your ministry about, but... If there was one thing that specifically we could pray for you about, what would that one thing be? Yeah,
1: so you can pray for the hearts of the
0: Muslims that we'll be interacting with, that spiritual breakthrough would occur, and God would open up their eyes to the truth of the gospel and the truth that they need him. Yeah, amen. And, and Annie, the same question. If there's one thing that you'd like for us to just to take before God, I know we're going to be praying for you lots of different ways, but maybe just highlight one thing this morning, a way that we can pray for you.
1: Um, if you guys could also just pray for the, um, the Venezuelan people that we'll be working with for their hearts. Um, they've been gotten caught up in the middle of a really messy situation and just, um, praying that they would also find their hope and light in the midst of all this darkness in Christ and, um, that there would be many salvations and just that God's name would be even more glorified as he saves their hearts. Amen. So I'm going to ask Kevin Merritt. Kevin
0: I'm going to ask him to come up and lead us in prayer as we pray for for both of them uh, in their respective countries and ministries that they
1: get to be a part of. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, we come to you this morning uh, grateful to worship and serve a church body at Pleasant City Church that makes missions a priority, not only locally and domestically in the U.S., but globally, God. Lord, I pray that you will place it on our hearts to remember Tessa and Annie as they go and serve for these extended periods of time, two very different situations, but very dire ones as well. In Sweden, the culture just falling apart for your name, Lord, that you're just, you're you're going away, and I pray that you will just give her the ability to bring your name back to people's minds and just provide basic needs and love and support for them, and The thing that's happening in Venezuela, God, I pray that Annie will just have safety and security and the people that she's gonna come in contact with are broken and they're desperate. And I pray that they will just be desperate for you, not just desperate for money and food and shelter, God. I pray that you will keep Tessa and Annie on our hearts and minds as they are gone for a little bit, that we will remember them every day and we can pray for them and support them financially and support them through prayer. And uh, God, just We thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to to praise your name this morning, to worship you, God, and hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand for what he's about to do? Thank you, ladies. Appreciate it. Guys, the reason we did this right in the middle of the message is, man, this is a perfect illustration example of what our church is about for the kingdom of God, that we get the opportunity to partner with people, to send them out, to help them financially send them out For the glory of God. And we've been able to do this all over the world. That over the last 13 years, overseas, over in the last 13 years, overseas, we've seen 14 churches get planted because of the opportunities we've had as a church overseas. We've seen, over the last 13 years, we've seen two churches right here that left us and are right here in the local communities and surrounding communities of Cleveland County. And those churches have even multiplied. That's amazing. We've seen uh, in missions, we've been able in the last 13 years to give $3.1 million to missions as a church in the last 13 years. And we have seen, this is a very conservative estimate. We think the number is actually a lot higher. But the best estimate that's conservative that we can give is that in the last 13 years, we have seen over 275 baptisms, representation of people putting their faith in Christ right here at our church. Is that not awesome? Man that's incredible. And that's, that's not even counting the baptisms. And the salve- people that have been saved overseas. Through the different ministries we've been a part of. This is our church. This is what we have had the privilege to be a part of. This is God's plan. That the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. All the while exceeding expectations. That's right there in verse 4. Next, generosity is married to worship. Verse 5 says, and they exceeded our expectations. They, these churches, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So the question becomes, how do we worship God with our finances? We see here the model. The model is they gave first of all to God. That he's the priority, that giving God what's already his. That's where generosity starts. We said this a couple weeks ago that giving God what's already his is important. In a letter to the Corinthian church, Paul says this in the first letter, in verse 16, one through two, it's gonna come up on the screen. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, about this offering, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. He's talking about this idea of priority, this idea that giving to God is not determined by what's left, Left, but by what is given in the first place. But it's more than just priority, it's this idea of percentage, that in God's economy, the percentage is worth more than the dollar amount. This is, this is a verse that maybe you've heard growing up, but I, I just wanna throw this out there. It's in Malachi verse three uh, or chapter three, verse 10. And you may have heard this before, I wanna break this down real quick. Bring the whole tithe. What's a tithe? A tithe is 10%. bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. A a better way to kind of translate that is it's this idea, the equivalent to that is saying that the needs may be met, all right? And test me in this. Who's talking here? God, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, some of you hear this verse and you hear the word tithe and you're already kind of turned off because you're thinking to yourself, well, the tithe is an Old Testament principle. We're not under the Old Testament principles anymore or an Old Testament law. That's law and we live in the grace era now. We don't have to worry about the tithe. But here's the thing. The tithe has been around before the law was ever given. Like, if you go back into Genesis and you look at Abraham, Abraham gave a tithe, all right? This is something that's before the law, and then God reaffirms it in the law. But then Jesus comes in the scene in the New Testament, the grace era, and he affirms the same thing. He talks about the tithe. In fact, he actually tells the religious leaders, this is one thing you got right. He tells them that in Matthew 23. He doesn't tell them they got many things right, that they got right. When Jesus taught on tithing, he always challenged people to take their obedience one step further and consider whether they were doing the right thing with the right heart. You see, when we tithe, we demonstrate obedience, and God always blesses obedience. You see, we tend to focus on the first part of that passage in Malachi. We focus on the tithe part, the 10% part. That's the, the place a lot of us camp out, but... Do we ever read the rest of that verse? That God says, try me, just test me in this and see what happens. That he's gonna open up blessing to us. And this isn't prosperity gospel. It's not dollar for dollar amount. It's actually a lot better than that. It's eternal. It's this idea that we have a privilege to put away an eternal investment because of our generosity. And the more God gives us, The more he expects. So the question is, what is the expectation of God when it comes to generosity? I saw this statistic, and it kind of blew me away. Did you know that if every person, every Christian in the world would tithe, every person that calls themselves a believer in Christ, if every person would tithe, we would have $85 billion worldwide. Now, I know that number's kind of arbitrary, so I'll kind of put it in, in, in a term you can maybe get. They say that world hunger, which is a huge problem, would cost $30 billion a year to fix. So if the church would just be obedient, that's one problem we could handle right there with $50 billion to spare. Now, again, I know that's not the greatest thing. The greatest need in people's lives is, is, is Jesus Christ. But I'm pretty sure $85 billion could pretty, pretty much put a dent in that. that. This is the expectation that God has for his people, his big church worldwide. But what about the local church? What about this church? What about Pleasant City? What could God do if we would just be obedient in our tithe and in our offerings? The reality is, and, and I'm going to tell you, this is, this is one of those things I don't, I'm very uncomfortable right now. So if you're uncomfortable, guess what? We're joining the, the uncomfortable feeling together. This is the reality of our church. We have 1,278 active adults in our church right now. That's 18 and up. 1,278. Out of that 1,278, there are only 241 that actually give to our church. Now, I don't, I don't know who gives what. I don't know who the 241 are. And I know 241, there's probably a couple that's, for some of those, there's probably a couple connected to that. But either way, it's still a minority in our church. A minority of people give, to the funding of everything that we just talked about just a minute ago. This is, this is, is kind of interesting as well. Only 241 give to our church. Out of that 241, 170 of them are 45 years and older, and they give 78% of our budget. Now, this is here on the screen, but if you are 45 years and older, your generation gives 78% of everything that we're able to accomplish here at the local church, leaving 71 people that are 44 years and younger that give 21% of our budget, 21% of our budget. And here's the thing, it's easy to look at those numbers and think, if you're, especially if you're 44 and younger, it's easy for you to look at that and think, oh, I'll give more whenever I, whenever I get to be older. But that's not actually true. Okay, what's interesting about this is the 45 and older generation, that entire generation gave the same way they did when they were 20 as they're giving right now, which is pretty awesome when you think about it. No, what's going on here is we live in a generation, the younger generation, the 44s and younger, they are in a generation that likes to give to causes, They like to give to things like Compassion International, incredible organization. They like to designate money to specific missionaries. Great idea. In fact, I do both of those, okay? But here's the thing. What does that mean for the local church? If all we ever give to the church is designations to this missionary or Compassion International, if that's all we're doing, where does that leave the church 20 years from now? Where does that leave us? We cannot neglect, we can't afford to neglect the local church that because of a base, a strong base that we have been able to do, that we've been able to have, we've been able to send missionaries out. We've been able to do this and do that and bring compassion in for a weekend. We're able to do that because people have been faithful to give to the local church. And man, I just want to challenge you guys, 44 and younger, maybe you're giving and that's Awesome. But if you're younger than 45, I want to challenge you. I'm in this generation with you. Man, what are we going to do 20 years from now? What's this church going to look like 20 years from now? We might have the right vision, we might even have the manpower. But man, God has given us the opportunity to give and to give generously to this church and to do something through that. Lastly, generosity is modeled through love, not a command. Verse 7, I'm going to pick up verse 7. But since you excel in everything, Paul is talking to this church, and he's saying since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Basically what he's saying is, hey, you guys are doing great. Y'all got all kinds of things that you're doing right. But this thing I just mentioned, this thing that the Macedonian church is doing, this idea of giving, I want you to excel at that as well. And then in verse 8, he says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. I love this verse because what he's saying is that generosity is not modeled in a command. It's not modeled in, all right, let me calculate the minimum amount I can give so I'm not sinning. That it's not calculated that way. Generosity is modeled in love. I I know we're running uh, out of time here, but I just want to share this little story. I remember when I was ready to ask Crystal to marry me, my wife Crystal, and I remember the, the month leading up to that, as a young man, um, I, I had a job, and I was working hard, but as a young man, I was trying to come up with the money for the engagement ring, and you men know what I'm talking about, and, um, and it wasn't like it was gonna be like some extravagant thing, but I was trying to come up with that money, and I had saved up enough money. I would worked really hard to save up enough money to buy her an engagement ring. I'd been looking at them and everything, and I remember, man, the rug just getting pulled out from under me. I remember my car broke down, and the cost to fix it was pretty much everything I'd saved up. And I remember that, that week, I remember that day when I finally paid off to get the car fixed. My wife knew none of this. None of this was going on at the time. She wasn't my wife, but I remember going to my parents' house, and honestly, I mean, I was just distraught about this. And I remember that huge setback and then having to go and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back in the saddle and do this again. So I remember saving up and saving up and saving up. And then the day came when I was going to ask her to marry me. And I remember it happened literally right here. It was right here. I remember what she was wearing. I remember everything about that night. It was at a Christmas party we did here at the church. It was right there, and I remember coming up here and opening that box and presenting this ring to her. That ring was this token of love for her. It, it was—it was just a ring, right? It's just money, and it's just a just a thing. But that ring meant just as much to her as it did to me. Because I had really, I had put away so much because I wanted to give her this act of generosity. Not because, not because that's just what you're supposed to do. No, I wanted to do it because I loved her. She's the most beautiful person on planet Earth. And I wanted her to know that and I wanted to marry her. And every time I look at that ring, I still think about that. I still think about that distraught feeling of not having any money, of my savings account getting depleted. I still remember all of that. And what I'm saying is, man, we have to treat God the same way. That this idea, it's not a command necessarily. It's not this idea of just trying to calculate the little amount because that's what we're supposed to do. We're obligated to do this. No, it's this love that we have for our Savior. So the question is not really, am I generous? Really, the better question is, do you love God? Do you love others? The application is, is this. God uses The us in generous to accomplish great things for his kingdom. Are you one of us? Are you one of us? Are you one of the 241 people that give to this church that make things happen? And if you're not, man, join us. When we hear that stuff, when we hear all that, the most excited people in the room are probably the people that are not just standing by the sidelines and applauding what the church, hey, that's really cool you guys did that. No, it's it's God saying, no, join us. Like, let's get in this together. Let's do this together. Imagine what we can accomplish through that. So right now we're going to have an invitation, and here's what the invitation is going to be. It's not going to be a come-to-the-front moment. The invitation is actually given every week. For this message, the invitation is this right here. It's when this plate passes you every week and when you have the opportunity to go online every week, the opportunity that we have to be generous for the kingdom of God. And when we pull that together, man, God does amazing things. So I'm gonna ask our ushers to come forward, please. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give right now. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be generous, Lord. And God that's not a one time deal lord that's that's a life marked by generosity that you are calling us to lord and that that when we do that when we pull our resources together as the local church we are able to accomplish great things we are able to send missionaries out from among us we are able to to get the gospel in hard places we are able to 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 rally around people right here in our community that are lost and hopeless and and dealing with things like un Unplanned pregnancy and things like that. God, there are so many opportunities we have, Father, to impact your kingdom. Lord, help us to be faithful and obedient to do that. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for that challenge on on giving. Uh, Another opportunity for giving is uh, in uh, using our gifts, and we have an opportunity.